Hi everyone, welcome to our second Squad Art Studio podcast. I'm so happy to be sharing Squad with you today. My name is Marissa McClure-Sweeney and I am hosting the Squad Art Studio podcast. Today's topic is going to be a little bit more behind the scenes theory and philosophy of setting up a home art space for young children. So just to share, I have three young children, a five-year-old son, a three-year-old daughter, and a one-year-old son. So I shared two a video segment actually on the Squad YouTube channel, which was a more practical tour of our, one of our shared art spaces in our home. And I wanted to follow that up with a little bit more philosophical or theoretical background support about how that environment works to generate, to sustain, and to nurture relationships between adults and children. So it's a shared use space. And by shared use, I mean that some parts of the space we've set up for the kids to be able to use independently and other parts are more grown-up access only. So they can not only see me working on some of my art with them, I can work alongside of them and I can assist them when they need support or scaffolding for some of the materials that might be either a little bit more difficult for them to manipulate, so maybe reuse or recycled materials that need to be cut or bent and I can help them use tools like the wood burning tool, the low temperature glue gun, some of the clay tools, acrylic paints, permanent markers, some of our photography and digital and technological tools. So those tools are in a separate area in the same space that they might need adult or one-on-one support. The space is always open in our home so the kids can go in and out of the space freely. There are a couple of different zones in the space. One is a table with chairs, which is a more two and three dimensional art making surface. Another is a soft area. We call it the book nook because there's a store that they love here in our hometown by the same name and it rhymes. And so that has pillows, it has books, it has a dollhouse, it has a light, a touch light, which my kids love so that they can adjust the lighting in that space. So there are a lot of different sensory elements. And that's the first aspect that I'm going to talk about today is engaging children with a prepared environment on all levels. So I think about the different layers of what is needed So there are soft spaces, hard spaces, tactile spaces, smooth spaces, different kinds of surfaces. There's a wooden surface, there are upholstered surfaces, carpeted surfaces, chalk painted surfaces, metal surfaces, porcelain surfaces. All of the different surfaces provide a sense of what is referred to in Red Joe inspired practice as the identity of different materials. So how they respond to our touch, are they cool, are they warm, are they smooth? And that also provides the adult with a vocabulary to talk with children about their aesthetic perceptions 
And that can be a starting point right there in process-based work. And that also is a great illustration of how the environment serves as a third teacher. So the three teachers are obviously the child, the competent child, the responsive educator, and the prepared environment. And as I shared, I'm a Montessori-trained teacher as well, and that informs some of my practice. I know Montessori and Reggio aren't always in alignment, so I have taken from various approaches, Waldorf, Montessori, Reggio, play-based, process-based, and mixed together the elements that appeal to me, that appeal to my children's different personalities, the way that I like to work as an artist, I'm more of a 3D maker, and the way that I like to support their working. So I've brought those different elements together into the space in the way that functions best with our family. And that's my general advice is as an educator and a parent is to kind of think about what appeals to you, your sensibility, what feels manageable and approachable to you and start there. You don't have to adopt a philosophy or an approach completely. You can always, there's no right or wrong way to do it, right? People get nervous because they think, oh, that's not Red Joe, that's not Montessori, but it doesn't have to be exactly that. It can be what feels approachable to you. So I've shared what feels approachable to me right now, to the kids right now, but that changes as they grow, as our preferences change, as their interests change. So it's very flexible. I try not to get too attached to any one way of thinking about or working through things. And I was sitting at my computer and I'm actually going to go to the space right now to finish the rest of the recording so I can sort of use the visual cues to align with the video piece to share some of these things with you. So like I said, there's a variety of surfaces, textures. There's also a variety of lighting. I have a couple of different touch lights. I have fairy lights. I have battery powered lights. So we can adjust the different levels of lighting. Now our space, because our home is older and like lots of older homes, it wasn't built with the same types of sensibilities that we have today. So our space is in the basement. There is There are some half windows, but they're, they don't provide a lot of natural light. So most of the lighting that is in the space is done with lamps. I really prefer lamps and uh, battery powered and softer light. I think that that's really nice. I also do have a light table that the kids can use as well as a Buddha board that provides a different kind of light experience. I have some battery operated candles that they really enjoy that creates a more intimate kind of space, especially in the soft space. And I also use uh, soy candles or coconut wax candles because I like the scent. And so I always have a diffuser with essential oils or candle to change the scent of the space. So all of those cozy, warm, comforting smells, scents, sights, lights contribute to the feel of the space. And this, this is more of like a low key space in our home. This isn't a big physical play space. They have that right outside of the space, it, which is more of our playroom 
type of open space where we have more physical play, but they decided and we decided together that this space was going to be more of a subdued space, more of a contemplative space for art making. And while we do have some imaginative materials, particularly some dress up materials in here, they decided on some agreements, what you might call rules in a more traditional setting. I always called them agreements in my classroom, that this was a space for only friendly dinosaurs. This is not a space for frightening dinosaurs or roaring dinosaurs. This is a little bit more of a subdued space. So while we do have a dinosaur tail in here, it's in a dragon cape and an Ewok hat, they're the friendly sort. So moving along, I talked about lighting, surfaces, textures. I have the materials organized. This is really inspired by my Montessori background in a variety of different trays, bowls, containers that kids can handle themselves. So I have glass containers, metal containers, ceramic containers, plastic containers. Um, I really like having those different, some are machine made, some are handmade those different qualities of container, not only for practical purposes, the kids can carry the bin of crayons to the table and then put it back, right? Because that is also part of the Montessori environment that influences me is that kids can access things independently and also put them back independently. And that helps me just in the general day-to-day -day maintenance of the space and cleaning of the space and organization of the space, that's something that they can contribute to, help to organize and make decisions about and feel connected to. And so then I don't have to kind of clean up after them in that way. The space manages itself in that way. And a lot of people also ask me about, you know, just the practical aspects of having breakable materials with kids. And surprisingly, I always answer this way in my classroom too, surprisingly few things get broken. Obviously, I don't have anything in here that's like ultra precious. There's no fine china or that sort of thing. There's nothing that's really got a lot of sentimental or material value. So if it does get broken, that's okay. That's a natural consequence. We have a dustpan and we can clean it up and you know, that is just part of the identity of that material is that it's breakable or sometimes we'll recycle it and make it into another art piece. You know, I tend to kind of keep things in that way if they're safe to be reused. Some of the materials that do get used heavily, like the washable markers, I keep in a plastic tray. That's just easier. I have a tray that looks like a pineapple. It's kind of fun. So if I do use a plastic element, I try to use something that is kind of creative looking or unique or I'm a maximalist in that type of way. So I really like fun objects that I find fun. I have like another plastic container that's like a strawberry. I have a bead container that's like a rainbow in a cloud. Um, I have different tins that things come in. I love the Amoretti cookie tins. You know, different containers for things like that that I find. A lot of them come from the kitchen, they're reused containers, or I might find them at a thrift store. A lot of my classroom materials and 
my home studio materials come from thrift shops or things that people were kind of giving away or getting rid of. So they don't need to be expensive materials to be beautiful and they don't need to be expensive materials to have an aesthetic identity. And I think that's really important. But at the same time, I do think it's also important to start to introduce young children to authentic art materials. And you know, authenticity is sort of a loaded word, but by that I mean we use real clay. We use plasticine also. I do use homemade Play-Doh, but I really like the qualities of acrylic paint for some projects. I like the film in the Intax camera. So in a smaller scale, I know some people are intimidated by using some of those types of materials with your children, but they can be really responsive and really vibrant and really spark their interest and be something different than what they've experienced. So I would encourage you to try a new material. See how it goes. Have a safe space in your home where you can have that exploration. This uh, studio has a concrete floor because we're in a basement and we have some rugs on here and they're definitely nothing that can't withstand a little bit of paint, a little bit of clay. And that's another learning experience too, right? Cleaning something and maintaining a space. So that's a great responsibility for kids to start learning how those types of things work together and how an environment responds to them and how they impact the environment. So that's a bit of an introduction to our prepared environment, our hop studio space. I always work with children to name the space. That's part of the ownership that I think is so significant. This space was supposed to be called Hopscotch Studio, but we didn't have enough letters to make the full sign. So it's the Hop Studio, which I think works perfectly. So I'd love to know, let me know in comments, questions, either here or on our social media pages, what other topics you'd like to hear about in the podcast as you all know or maybe should know I'm a full-time professor of art education. I'm assistant chair of the art and design department at IUP and I'm also a mom of three young children and a family with five children. So I'm pretty busy but I want to update this as much as I can and I really enjoyed sharing with this community and hearing from you. And I look forward to talking with you more soon. I would love to see also photos, videos, images of your art making spaces and the creations that you and the children with whom you're in relationship as a parent, a caregiver, an educator, making those spaces. Have a wonderful week. Bye.